0: The following Dharma discourse was given by Jeffrey Shugan Arnold at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shugan Roshi is the head of the Mountains and Rivers Order and abbot of the monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at ZMM.org. Thank you for listening. This is from the Book of Serenity, K73. Cao Shan's Fulfillment of Filial Piety, the Pointer. Lurking in the grasses, sticking to the trees, one turns into a spirit. Being constrained and unjustly punished, one becomes a ghostly curse. When calling it, you burn paper money and present a horse. When repelling it, you curse water and write charms. How can you get peace in the family? (coughs) The main case... A student asked Mr. Cao Shan, how is it when the morning clothes are not worn? Mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Cao Shan said, today Cao Shan's filial duty is fulfilled. The student said, how about after fulfillment of filial duty? Cao Shan said, Cao Shan likes to get falling down drunk. The verse. The pure household has no neighbors, For long years, staying in, sweeping, not admitting any dust. Where the light turns, tilts the moon, remaining at dawn. When the forms of the hexagrams are distinguished, then are established dawn and spring. Having freshly fulfilled filial duty, then one meets the spring. Walking drunk, singing crazily, turban hanging down. Ambling with tousled hair, who cares? In great peace, with no concerns, a person falling down drunk. So that's not going to be happening tomorrow night. <laughs> not here, at least. <laughs> so we are moving into the richest parts of this session. And I think one of the things that's always important to remember and appreciate is that when we're practicing, there's what we're aware of that is taking place, and there's what we're not aware of. There's what's in our consciousness that we can perceive and notice, in terms of changes and the effects of practice, and then there's so much that is beneath the level of our consciousness, but that is moving, turning, shifting. And that's why it's so important to trust, to have faith in your practice, to be wholehearted, and not sort of parcel that out, depending on whether we feel like, you know, things are going well or not. To actually be wholehearted when you feel, you know, half full or lacking in energy or spirit, is really a wonderful training. To not be so subject to the impermanent and passing conditions of the moment, but to decide for ourselves how we are going to engage rather than letting our circumstances, whether they're internal or external, dictate that. I thought this, Cohen. I wanted to speak about it because as we're entering the end of the year, a new year, celebrating and really, as I said on the first evening, um, with Rahatsu I never have any idea what day of the week it is. (laughs) 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 It all goes to hell. Um, So whatever that first night was, Um, <clears throat> I lost my train of thought. <laughs> that I said that it's not so much celebrating the Buddha's enlightenment, as invoking it, practicing it, um, being inspired by it, and that's very important. I think very important distinction. That within the 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 sort of due measure of respect and reverence and regard that we rightfully bring to the Buddha from within ourselves, that that what's most important now is now, is what we're doing now. And I think if the Buddha were alive, he would agree. He would want us to be doing exactly what we're doing, and not putting all our, our attention to someone who lived 2,500 years ago. Filial piety, and so I was thinking in terms of the Buddha and lineage and ancestry, and filial piety in, particularly when Buddhism went into Asia, became extremely important because it was part of the Asian Confucian culture. Um, about which I only know from what I've studied and read, but a, a real, a, a very, very deep um, sense of um, reverence and obedience and devotion and care towards one's family, parents, grandparents, and so on, the elders, and that that formed the basis for moral conduct and social harmony. And in the Dharma, so when Buddhism went into China, for instance, it entered into that culture, into that social norm. And and then here you have monastics leaving home, leaving their parents. So that didn't go down very well. That was very contrary, kind of antithetical to, to those cultural norms and what was considered to be most essential. So one of the ways that that was... Um, met, uh, or regard, taken, sort of, you know, taken up in the Buddhist um, community, was the importance of lineage, establishing the importance of lineage, and making that a very conscious, articulated thing, beginning with the Buddha down to each generation's um, teacher in that particular lineage. And so there was one's family line. And so that sense, we might say, in our tradition, the sense of filial duty is to the Buddha, to our ancestors within the tradition. That's why it's so important. that Lineage is the vehicle by which the teachings are transmitted. They're not transmitted through the, the written words, as important as those are, or through the sutras, as important as those are, because anyone can read words on a page and misunderstand them or understand them but intellectually, conceptually, or understand only a part of them but not the full depth of them. And so that's why studying with the teacher, the student-teacher relationship in Buddhism has always been, in many of the traditions, has always been considered so supremely important because that's how the teachings come alive as we study with our teachers, and also how the, how the teachings are transmitted, are taught, and then guided, so that when a teaching is given, the teacher has an opportunity to see, does the student understand this correctly? Are they correctly bringing this in and applying it to their practice? Is it transforming their life? All of these different elements. And that can't happen just by reading a sacred text. It's also why it's so important that we every day include the women ancestors, which are not technically a lineage in the sense that they don't represent a you know teacher to disciple relationship all the way down, but they're all historically verified teachers, beginning with Mahapajpati, so that we recognize and are constantly bringing into our consciousness and awareness that our women ancestors were present from the very beginning, in the time of the Buddha, we're entering the way, we're practicing, we're gaining enlightenment, we're teaching, becoming teachers, leading communities. And so we have that sense of who we're we're obligated to. (laughs) You know, who are we indebted to? How did we get here? And of course, you know, family and social and cultural norms and obligations are part of every culture. And they can be ways to build community, to, to create meaning and purpose in people's lives, to share, sort of have shared ways of, you know, living and understanding the world and, and living together. But they can also be ways to create bondage and limitations and control. And so, the Buddha left home. And so to consider how any virtue can become a source of suffering when it's misunderstood, when it's tethered to clinging to self-centeredness, when it's used to control others. One of the fetters that the Buddha taught was clinging to particular rules and observances and recognizing that rules and observances, of which he had many, right, he was a rule-maker, right? There are hundreds of an eye that the ordained monastics were, were and still are committed to living by. And yet he said, if you cling to those rules and observances, then they become poisonous, they become unwholesome. And so being bound by rules, is one extreme. Rejecting all rules and all boundaries, I'm just going to do whatever I want, is being caught within oneself, being caught by others. At the end of the womankind, the gateless gate, woman's Zen warnings, he says, one of them is to observe the regulations and keep to the rules is tying oneself without a rope. On the other hand, to act freely and unrestrainedly, just as one wishes, is to do what heretics and demons do. So he's basically saying a very similar thing. So when the pointer, um, lurking in the grasses, sticking to the trees, one turns into a spirit, being constrained and unjustly punished, one becomes a ghostly curse. Dadaroshi used to talk, say more than once, how he thought it would be a good idea if somebody put together a kind of dictionary of understanding a lot of these phrases and terms that come down from cultural contexts from hundreds of years ago that are very difficult, sometimes almost it seems impossible or difficult, let's just leave it at that, <laughs> to really understand what that's being referred to. And so the way I read that is to, to basically get caught you know, in any form of bondage, and constraint, but being caught in no constraint, you know, a sense of willfulness, is just another form of bondage. But then it says, When calling it, you burn paper money and present a horse. When repelling it, you curse water and write charms. I really have no idea what he's talking about there. I mean, I could, I could make a guess, but I won't. But I think the most important thing here, I mean, obviously what he's saying, when you call it, when you call it in, I might think, see that as when you hold on to it, then you burn paper money. You, you destroy something that has value, that is precious. When repelling it, when pushing it away, when avoiding it, you curse water. You, you, you denigrate something essential, something that's, that's essential to life. But I think the most important aspect of the pointer is, how can you get peace in the family? After all, how do we bring peace into the family? When we observe the turnings of samsara, our greed, anger, delusion, our pride and jealousy, our false views, our attachments to those false views, and how tenaciously we can hold on to them, defend them, fight for them, kill for them. And all the while, if we look closely, they're constructions. They're things we create in our minds. And the Buddha said, and Buddhism teaches, yes, we do that, so do that skillfully. Do that knowingly. Do that knowing that it's a construction so you don't bind yourself to it and impute a false sense of righteousness, dogma, when we deny our responsibility, our mutual dependence, you know, it's one of the sort of key aspects of Buddhist practice. We cannot do this, I cannot do this, you cannot do this, if we're not personally willing to take responsibility. We just can't do it. We cannot practice if we're not willing to take responsibility for our own minds and our bodies, our karma, There can be no change in the way without taking responsibility. And I think that's an ongoing discovery of how deep that goes, of how deeply we need to actually do that, all of the implications of that. How can we get peace in the family? The Buddha's enlightenment showed him Sort of this revolution that if we want, certainly from the Mahayana perspective, that if we want to bring peace in the world, we have to be peace. If we want to bring forth compassion to others to alleviate suffering, we have to have, be well on the way of alleviating suffering within ourselves and to really take that in to get that. And so that when we're practicing, we're solidly practicing for ourselves and for others so that we can be there for others in a way that is true and good and clear and trustworthy. And in that way, we realize that, as the Buddha did, that everyone fundamentally in their self-nature is peaceful. And the degree to which we do not live and act peacefully, is the degree to which we have become estranged and have, and have and are acting counter to our original nature. And the more counter we act to it, the more we will live in that contrary way. We will live unpeacefully. That's why the, the, the precepts are one of the three essential aspects of the training. So how do we, entering into this path to heal all of our ills, receiving the many gifts of the three treasures, how do we express our gratitude? How do we repay the Buddha? How do we repay our teachers? was a student of Dongshan who together developed the Cao Dong school, Soto school in Japan, our own lineage. <clears throat> and so a student asks him, How is it when morning clothes are worn? The clothes that would be traditionally worn at the passing, say, of a parent. And Cao Shan says, Today, Cao Shan's filial duty is fulfilled. Now, when a Parent dies, the way to rightly mourn would be to wear mourning clothes, right? To follow certain customs, to grieve, to honor that person. The footnote to that says the cicada sheds its shell but holds on to the twig. We let go, we let go, we let go. Ultimately we realize the self is empty of a shell, of aggregates, of characteristics and qualities, of history, of memories, of any attribute that we might point to and say, this is where I am, this is who I am. But even in that moment of realizing the self is empty, the habits of that self are still strong. They still arise, they still have impulses. we still hold on to the twig. And that's why training continues. That's why the idea that we can just come in here and go gangbuster, and throw ourselves into the path, and realize enlightenment, and it's all done. All of our attachments are let go of, all our false views are enlightened, we're completely compassionate, there's no false step. There's no false speech. That's why when we're practicing, when we talk about calming, the calming, Gokan spoke about samadhi, right, which is single pointedness of mind generally understood. And it has a calming effect. And that's not, we shouldn't just think of that too narrowly as just letting go of thoughts, because Samadhi itself is not necessarily dependent on whether there are thoughts or not. It's the concentration, it's the stability. But what is also calming is the whole system. When you think about how when we begin practicing and the system is a riot, right? it's restless, it's panicking, it's anxious, it's bored, it's looking, 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 grabbing, 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 grabbing. Right? I mean, how many of you sitting quietly here doing nothing have had mild or major panic attacks? Right? Nothing really going on. Right? And so that calming of all of that restless, misapplied energy, that tremendous amount of energy, I mean, just think about it. If you would put all of that energy and brought it into focus, into your vows, into your practice, into cultivating wisdom, whoa, that's what we're doing. And so that calming, so even when we feel like, you know, you're tired or your concentration is used up or whatever, you're done. (laughs) Right? That's it for the day. You got no more. That's not true. That's where intention, sincerity, being wholehearted—that's the time to practice being wholehearted. What does that mean when you're running on fumes? If you think about it, if you think about the idea of oh, I'm so tired, oh, I'm so tired, oh, I'm so tired, oh, I'm so—you're done. You are toast because you put yourself in the toaster. But if you just—if <laughs> you just are aware of what you're feeling and then begin again and then begin again. You've done that. We've all been in situations where you've been called upon for something, self-imposed, other-imposed, work, school, whatever, where you've reached a limit, but you needed to keep going. And you did. And whew, somewhere, somehow that energy comes, and you keep going, and you keep going. Right? The subtlety of this is it's not you know, the, the goal is not there. You can't grab onto it. It's like when I was learning to swim and my mother was in, the, in our community pool and she said, okay, come on, honey, come on. And I'm swimming and she said, I got a peanut butter sandwich right here waiting for you. Come on, come on. And then she starts backing up. And I'm like, wait a minute. What is this? LAUGHTER And so that's where we discover that those seemingly very solid limitations that we have in those moments, I can't. And I know that. I've been there. I've been sat in this walk, stood at the threshold and think, and thought, I just don't even know. I just don't even know how this is going to happen. I remember years ago, there was a, there was a, a, a New Year's Eve, a night like tomorrow, and Dada Roshi did fasatsu, it ended kind of early, and I think I went up to Myotai and said, "Who was a monitor, monitor I said, two periods before midnight? She goes, no, let's just do one. And it was like, oh my God, that was the <laughs> longest period ever. <laughs> <laughs> so I know what that's like, right? But that's the thing. So here we are. We have freely brought ourselves here. We, there is something that we are seeking, there's something we have confidence in, and we meet that moment, and, it's, and we can sit and complain and whine and rationalize, and then what do you have? It's worse. That's what you got. It's harder than ever. But if you just actually do your practice, if you take refuge, if you come back again, you come back again. And what are you developing in those moments? What are you developing? Why is it important to see beneath the surface of things? Cao Shan says, today's, Cao Shan's filial duty is fulfilled not wearing the morning clothes. Free. Unencumbered. Inside, outside, not a single thing. Why is that important, to see into the truth of impermanence, to see into the truth of all things non-abiding, being empty? You know, Shon mentioned yesterday how certain phrases and terms can seem kind of dry, you know, they seem, can seem kind of technical, seem kind of distant or abstract. It's true. I mean, that was my experience too. But you know what? you got to work at it. you got to work to make that essential concept, meaningful, so that it has power for you, so you understand what you're doing. Because that concept that seems dry and abstract, it is all about you. It is all about you. It is all about everything that is you. And when we don't get that warmth at the beginning, okay, right? You don't get everything at the first glance so you have to work at it you study you you see different ways that it's expressed you keep coming back to it you keep practicing and you know what it begins to come alive there were things, there were teachings like that phrases like that that i thought oh you know that just doesn't speak to me i'm just not that interested that's not really my thing <laughs> you know that's sort of like not my question and then as time went on invariably i would get to the point and to where I think, that is the only question I have. So don't let that, don't be satisfied with that. Don't be lazy. <laughs> because when we get stuck, so why is it important to see beneath the, the surface of things? Because when we get stuck, when we're struggling, when we're suffering, when we're sad or angry or tired, lonely, lonely, it seems so real, doesn't it? It takes over. It's all through. It, your, you know, it's like your mood, your emotions, your affect, everything. It's just like, it's heavy. And it just seems like something. This thing is happening. We give it a name. I'm angry. I'm tired. I'm achy. And there's this sense of solidity that we're giving to that thing there's a sense of separateness even though it's in me somehow it's separate it's happening to me it's doing something to me get out of here All right i don't want this so i get angry at it it gets more solid it gets more fixed i start thinking about it it gets more solid it gets more fixed we should you know The Buddha said, there is no moment, there is no situation in which of all of the practices, all of the qualities, all of the things that we're cultivating, that he taught, that mindfulness is not needed. There's not a single situation in which that is not important. Other qualities, other virtues may, you know, be more or less important at certain moments, but mindfulness is always important. Because if we're not aware, there's not much we can do. And so the more that something takes on that sense of solidity and distance and happening to me, we literally become more helpless. I mean, there's a point at like which it's almost like there's not much we can do. We're just overtaken. And what the Buddha said is, I mean, you spoke about this in a lot of different ways, but that there's a moment where we notice something let's say, inside of us, we notice something, we have an experience, or we come into contact with something, and then there's a feeling. Sean talked about this. And remember, feeling in Buddhism generally, in this way, means sensory contact, touch, that first moment, sight, sound, smell. We use feelings to, to include a whole bunch of stuff. But it really means that moment of contact, very direct. And then what happens in a flash, is we recognize it. We, it we, we create a perception. What is that? Oh, I'm angry. Right? And then the Buddha said what happens next is what he called mental proliferation, which kind of says it all. The mind proliferates. It explodes, right, in a cascade of thoughts that bring in association, and they're not just, you know, new thoughts. They are not new thoughts, right? They're associative. So they're bringing in associations. Oh, this was like, oh, this was when. Oh, I know. But we're not even thinking that, it just happens. Memories. This whole incredible, like, opera, right? That floods into that experience, into that sensation, which is really usually directed towards the object, and we don't see any of that happening. And we just think all of that stuff, all of that opera, is in the object itself. That's samsara. That's dukkha. And so even as we calm all of that reactivity, those impulses, that sort of historical way of responding, as important as that is, The basic underlying structure is still there, the basic idea, me and you. We are separate. We are distinct. And that's why seeing into the nature of things is so important. And so Cao Shan says, not wearing mourning clothes, my filial duty is fulfilled. And then the student says, how about after fulfillment, a filial duty? The cicada sheds its shell but holds the twig. How do you cure the illness of having no illness? A student once asked Cao Shan, how can one be awake all the time? Cao Shan said, it's like passing through a village with poisoned wells. Don't touch even a single drop. And so when we see directly that there's no place to abide, there's no thing actually to attach to, to attach to things is illusion. We chant it every day during session. The cellular memory, if you will, of our attachments is still there. The deep, deep faith in our beliefs and our views and all those things that are so completely integrated and constructed that we don't even think of them as beliefs that I have about the world, we just see it as this is the way, the way, this is the world and the way the world works. That's why practice is so difficult, to see that you're dreaming from inside the dream, right? To open your eyes in the middle of a pitch-black night and have a glimmer of light. That's why it's so difficult. And not only that, because that can seem kind of mechanical, but because we are totally invested in it being so. We've staked our life on it. We've gotten to where we are, for good or bad, to a large extent based on that plan. So of course it's not going to be so easy to let go of. We can see that the water in the poison wells is just water we can realize that the poison is just a construction of my mind. The greed doesn't just exist somewhere, it doesn't exist in me. If you open me up, you're not going to find a greed, you know, a little nugget somewhere. <laughs> and yet when we drink from that well, we get sick. And so we keep practicing. We sit we keep studying, we keep examining, we keep having the experiences of seeing, of holding our attention in the face of something difficult, of letting go, of actually realizing this is empty. And then we have that experience again and again and again and again and again and again again to help to undo the millions and billions of experiences that we've had before practice that created our delusion. And so we, it, it's, it's completely unrealistic to think that we're just going to have one insight, one letting go, one big whopping letting go. Right? <laughs> and everything's going to just get flushed down the toilet and go you know, neatly out to sea. <laughs> But you know the nice part about that is we get to keep doing this. <laughs> 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 and so, how about after fulfillment of f- filial duty, and Sao Shan says Sao Shan likes to get falling down drunk. How do you step forward from the top of the hundred foot pole so that you don't begin to suffocate? With all of that pure, clean, pristine air, so that you're not so, so that you don't get cut off from the cries. Cao Shan says, I like to get falling down drunk. I would say, the breaking of my heart is almost unbearable. Or, once again, my head has exploded into a thousand pieces. Or, it's my fault. Or, every day is a good day. Shan likes to get falling down drunk. One whose eyes cannot get sand in them is too restricted. It's in the commentary. One whose eyes cannot get sand in them is too restricted. Tao Shan said, crude, mundane, greed, anger, and delusion may be difficult to cut off, yet they are still light. Unconcern and undoing purity is graver than anything. It's very interesting. He's saying delusion, yeah, it's difficult to cut off. But the delusion of having no delusion at all, the delusion of being bound to purity, which is really always to an idea of purity. Because where is it that you could bind yourself to it? And yet we can do that. And it's kind of interesting, you know, when we're stuck within samsara and suffering, the person can still be reached with the right conditions, the right moment. I've talked to people who themselves testified that they were beyond any reach, any hope, any possibility of any light getting through. And then light got through. But to be stuck with nothing and no one can put a person out of reach because they get stuck in that sense of self-created purity, righteousness, walking drunk, singing crazily, turban hanging down, ambling with tousled, 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 tousled hair, messed up hair. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? In great peace with no concerns, a person falling down drunk. These images are used frequently, particularly in the Zen tradition, not just in the Zen tradition, you know, of being so thoroughly in the way and living so deeply within an ethical life that that is so integrated that we no longer have to cling so tightly to the guardrails. We can let up a little bit. Loosen up a little bit. It's a middle way. And so as we go into these last very rich hours, today and tomorrow, let's really appreciate all those before us who have made it possible for us to be here, past and present, family, co-workers, The list is endless. And because of that, we kind of have a responsibility, right? There's no... no, to not freeload, right? To actually take advantage of this and repay our debt, because that's the way we do it. We repay our debt to our... to the Buddha, to our teachers, by freeing ourselves. That's what every teacher wants. For everyone. And so I'll end with the words of Dogen. However, after all of this, do not analyze or talk about it. Just set aside your body and mind, let them go, and throw everything into the house of the Buddha. Then everything is done by Buddha. And when you follow this, you are free from birth and death. And realize, Buddha, without effort, Or scheme. Who then remains in your mind? There is after all a simple way to become a Buddha. Just refrain from unwholesome actions. Don't be attached to birth and death and be compassionate towards all living beings. Be respectful to your elders and kind to your juniors, not excluding or desiring anything with no thoughts or worries. Now, You can rightfully be Buddha. Seek nothing else. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as cushions, incense, liturgical instruments, dharma books, and more, visit monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.